welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. This week, we'll find out what it means to be a god, find out who guards infinity, demand less pearl-muttering, discuss whose side we're on, and more! Oh yeah. Heck, heck yeah, some might say. This is the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast, oh, so pecking prompt- and yang should be the norm. Uh, I was I was prompting you to open up your little Heck Yeah thing you, you like oh, to do. Oh, crap. Oh, no, it's too late. We're started. Heck yeah! Oh, you ruined Awkward it. Awkward silence follows. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm, I apologize openly. I openly for... apologize for myself, folks. I'm... Oh, good. I'm tired of having to do it for you. Right? No, I just want to, you know, David, you deal with so much in your life. I figured I'd take one of your burdens off of you. Bro, you don't even know. Bro? You don't bro. even know, bro. Bro, do you even read comics? Uh, only on occasions and only usually when I'm forced to, so I have to, so I can review them for a podcast. I'm oh. like forced to do. But... Only only on like religious holidays? Yes. Like Stan, yes. Like Stan Specifically, Lee's? specifically like pagan holidays. Well. Which I think or... there's like. 300 of them or stanley's birthday that's also an important day to read comics that that is an important day basically any day that a comic book creator has a birthday i'll read comics uh and there's probably there's gotta be like one there's probably like one every day no nah, there's gotta be like that one weird date the black day <laughs> that they all have, they all share the same birthday so i have to read like <laughs> three thousand comic books in a day what if they did if Santa Claus be, can do it, yeah. That what if it's like so this strange weird. phenomenon where every comic book creator shared the same birthday? But like only, like only that profession. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, sorry, your son was born on March fourteenth. Uh, they're gonna write comics. There's um. No. Speaking of which, there's a comic book I haven't read it yet. Uh, I believe it's from Image. It's called Nailbiter. I don't even know mm. who's working on the book. I'm sure I can do a quick Google foo to find out. Um, but I, I believe this is the book I'm thinking of where it has something to do with um, that there's a specific town somewhere in the United States that like uh, in what's the right where I'm looking for uh, an uncharacteristically uncharacter- high amount of serial killers seem to be born uh, in that town. So Miami in Dexter. <laughs> yeah, I still haven't finished that series. Oh, um, me but... either. And I probably won't. Yeah, it's one of those things that I say that I'll get to. I'll get to someday. No, yeah. dude, the ending's terrible. Oh, well, I don't want to know. Well, you don't want to know? You haven't heard about the Lumberjack ending? No, I haven't. Dude, no. We're gonna. Lumber- I, I don't know anything. I will eventually get to it. We're going to Lumberjack this podcast one day. Oh, my God. That's like, it, it already tells me too much. I'm very smart. Dude, it's dude. so bad. Mm, I still don't want to know. I want to hope for the best. You shouldn't. You really shouldn't. But uh, stop it, stop it. Okay, Nailbiter, which now I kind of want to check this book out because it's written by Joshua Williamson, mm-hmm. who's doing the his other image book, Birthright, which I really enjoy. Anyway, where do serial killers come from, and why has Buckaroo Oregon given birth to sixteen of the most vile serial killers in the world? Buckaroo. Um, Buckaroo Oregon. Um, I don't know. 
how much of this is based on fact, um, but I think it's an interesting premise, and I'll be curious to check the book out. Hmm. I actually might have like volume one on you, you probably do. or something, because why not have tons and tons and tons of comic books that you might never end up getting to read? Um, no, Nick, I'm going to get through my to read pile. Yeah, you Dave, don't know me. Years later, but I mean, when I think about it, my to read pile, exists both in single issue physical on my bookshelf full of trade paperbacks and on like Comicsology on Marvel Unlimited. Like, there's there's no escaping. I will be reading comic books until the day I die. Well, I've got some bad news for you then, because that day is today. Ha! Oh, oh, oh. Oh, you just heard it here, folks. I just murdered Nick on the podcast. <sighs> this tape is my confession. Shocking. You'll never find me, coppers. I mean, I'm still dead. So and like, then I disappear in the night. I'm not going to talk for the rest of the podcast, David, because I'm I'm dead. So it's uh, it's all you. So this is my confession, and uh, my confession is that I read some comics this week. Corpse of Nick, did you read some comics this week? Black. Corpses, corpses don't make sounds, Nick. Oh, uh, squishy, squish, squish. <laughs> um... Sure, that was horrifying for everybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, there were some other books that I did want to read, like Midnighter and oh, yeah, Mega yeah. Man. Let's talk about your uh, failure, real quick. What failure? The fact that you've only read one book this week. Well, let's see, what did I do today? I woke up, I ran a stadium, which I do every Wednesday. You might do Spartan, like, once a year, but I run a stadium every Wednesday. <laughs> So, You're right. They're pretty much comparable. They are basically the same thing. Pretty much um, the same thing. And man, do my knees hurt afterwards. But we're not here to talk about Heck Yeah, Nick's Knees podcast. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I was pretty busy today, and I basically was able to read a comic book in the last couple of hours, and it ended up being... Okay, that and the books I picked up, besides the two books that I didn't get to, which were Omega Men and Midnighter, uh, the other books were either part of my to read pile that I'm like super behind on like silver surfer um, and uh, federal bureau of physics. And then mm-hmm. I forget the other book I picked up, but I did pick up Plutona. Let me reach over real quick and grab it. I also yeah. picked up Plutona, but uh, in between work and trying to finish the wicked and the divine for tonight's episode, I did not get a chance to dig into it. Yeah, Dave, so, whatever. Your excuses are always more relevant than mine. Uh, so, Nick, you're going to have to, like, sell me on it right now. Like, why should I Why should I read something I already purchased? <laughs> Sounds like a waste well, of time. David, uh, reason number one is because you've already spent money on it. Uh, reason two is, of course, that you and I are kind of sort of Jeff Lemire fanboys. Um, I, 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 would say I do that like the Lemire. Lo- um, <laughs> we like the Lemire. Um, I would say that uh, he's a writer where more often than not I've enjoyed his work whether it be creator owned or some of his superhero work I've mostly enjoyed it uh, typically when he's left to his own devices and like he really seems to have a passion for the product also when he's not writing team books though I'm cautiously optimistic about his upcoming X-Men work um, mm-hmm uh, we're not talking about Extraordinary X-Men. We're talking about Plutona, which I believe is a pretty strong collaboration between Jeff Lemire and Emmy Lennox. Um, yeah, actually, Emmy Lennox is also credited 
as um, contributing to the story. Um, and and I I'm assuming that Emmy Lennox is a girl. I'm sorry, I I don't know off the top of my head. The you know, names can kind of go both ways. Emmy Emmy, I think that's a, that's a fair assumption. It is a girl. The the easiest way to sum up Plutona uh, is that it's uh, Stand By Me with superheroes. Uh, it's like Stand By Me and let's let's just call it, the say, The Breakfast Club, which is a movie that I've never sat all the way through. Um, meets, so, so you can totally talk about it. So I can totally, I think I'm a, an authority on The Breakfast Club. Um, uh, yeah, so it's just it's like exactly like that. Like literally if you splice scenes from Stand By Me and The Breakfast Club and then just um, like uh, someone in like tights. So like a dancing show. You put those all in. Like that's Plutona. Okay. Have you have you seen Stand By Me now that we're on this subject? I have seen Stand By Me. It's a great film. With a young Will Wheaton. Will, Will Wheaton and... Um, a tragically still dead, uh, not Hawking Phoenix. Crap, what's his name? River Phoenix. River Phoenix. That was insensitive. I'm sorry. He did really well in that movie. It's the only thing I've ever seen him in. Anyway, uh, Plutona, uh, disregards some of the last minute of things that I've said. It is basically Stand By Me with superheroes. Um, it follows a group of kids, um, uh, three boys, uh, two girls, um, who end up uh, basically finding the body of a dead superhero. Um, mm-hmm. and mo- the majority of the issue is basically going into quick kind of snippets of their each of each of their personal lives. Like, um, you know, what's their family life like in some regards, or what does some of them do? Like there's one kid who tracks all of the superhero sightings. Uh, I guess they live out on the outskirts of a city. That's basically, it's called Metro city. So it's basically like superhero ground zero. Um, or centralized, actually, probably the better term to use. Um, and uh, so this kid just likes tracks, likes tracking all their whereabouts. Um, there's another girl um, who, like, there's two girls and their friends, and like, they're both trying to get into like that edgy, probably like about to become hot topic kids kind of crowd. Um, uh, Diane and I forget the other girl's name. Anyway, I'm not gonna go like too too deep into the detail. There's a kid. There's a, another kid that's like. It's got an abusive home life, it looks like. Um, and then the, the one of the other girls has, like, a brother that she's, like, forced to take care of. So what the book does really effectively is that, first off, this is not, at least immediately in this first issue, a complex story. It's very easy to follow. And even though you're only getting brief snippets of each character's kind of, you know, like, who they are, what makes them who they are, mm-hmm. uh, at least it's, it's really more like a tease but it's enough that like really gets you absorbed. Like you're not like, for example, like there's kind of like the, the river Phoenix kid, basically like this kid that kind of comes from an abusive, not, you know, friendly background. And he's like totally compensating for things and like trying to live up to certain expectations, um, placed on him. Um, you know, it's, that's kind of a stereotype, a stereotype, um, not stereotype. What's the one I'm looking for, David? Uh, a, a, cliche, not a, a trope, a trope. Sorry. Thank you. Um, a trope, um, you know, but the way that Lemire writes it, and especially the way that Emmy Lennox art kind of like comes off the page, it's done very effectively. So it's a simple narrative so far, mm-hmm. but it's done very effectively. The art is really, really good. Um, it definitely has an animated cartoonish yeah. esque uh, quality to it. It reminds me of uh, Brian Lee O'Malley 
a little bit. Yeah, you know what? Now you mention it. In some cases, I can see, like, there's, like, the page with, um, uh, crap, I forget the Asian girl's name. I mean, uh, I mean, you don't, I don't know. I haven't read it. Yeah, me, no. Her brother's name is me. Oh, no, sorry. Her name is me. Her brother's name is Mike. Um, there's a scene, like, with her mother, where her face, actually, it's, I can see the Brian Lee O'Malley. I can almost see a little bit of Jeff uh, Smith from Bone. Yeah, it's not like, I mean, it's not like totally Brian Lee O'Malley, like knockoff, but there's definitely, like, you can see they have the same sort of influences mm-hmm. so, coming through. I'm sure there's definitely an anime influence, but I'm actually, now that like I'm thinking of it, I see a, a heavy Jeff Smith influence, which might be unintentional, but I, I, I can see it. Um, anyway, the, the main crux of the story is basically... You know who these kids are, where they're coming from, uh, a day in the life at school, um, kind of how their interpersonal dynamics work. Uh, they're not necessarily all friends, um, but basically by circumstance, they all end up in the same place, which leads to them discovering the body. Um, and that's basically issue number one. Uh, I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything by revealing that like this is basically the plot of the whole book. Um, where it's going to go from here, who knows? Because it's, it's not like... And Stand By Me, where you go, like, you don't really see the dead body until the end of the movie. Spoilers. Um, you know, this isn't the first issue. So whether this is, I, I don't think this is a, I think this is a miniseries, I should say. Probably. So I don't know where this, I don't know where this is going, I should say. That now that, like, we're at the, the dead body part, it could go anywhere. Um, it's that not, being it's, said. It's Who uh, Killed Retro Girl Part 2. Yeah, yeah, Retro Girl Part 2, which uh, eventually I'll read Powers. Um. Uh, and then there's a backup drawn. Is it drawn by Lemire? Yes, it is drawn by Lemire. Uh, so it's written and drawn, um, and by him, and it gives you a little insight into Plutona's personal life. Which, like, once you kind of get to the end of the main story, and then you read this backup story, it kind of makes you want to go back, read it, get to that end again, and you'll feel a heavier punch. It's almost like the kind of thing that. You'd wish you'd known before, but you don't need to know. But once you know it, it it's like, it, mm, it this adds hurts some, worse. It adds some extra layers to it when you're going exactly. back through. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I really was not planning on picking this book up. I know I've been kind of rambling about it. Um, it's, it's just, it's just good. You know, it's simple yet effective. The characters are um, accessible, but very engaging. Um, and the story has an opportunity to not just revisit, say, you know, uh, it's it, to, to replay its influences, but to, with the superhero element in, in focus could really do some interesting things with it. And I'll be curious to see what that is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, Jordi, uh, Jordi Belair on there as colorist. Yep. Who, uh, knows... Jordi Belair is a woman. Yep. She knows her way around a color palette. That's for sure. The only reason I'm bringing up that she's a woman, in case people forgot, was because we thought that she may have been a guy at first. There was a, there was some brief confusion in the past, yes. Which Dave and I seem to have trouble with names that could go either way. Well, to be fair, doesn't everyone? Yes, but we need to be held to a higher standard because we are well, effectively... You, however, I journalists. never would think that Emmy could or be contributed to a male. What was that? I, I would never think that Emmy could be contributed to a male. I don't know. I mean, it, I mean, it could be I, like I would, a French name or something, you know? I mean, there's a lot, you know, like comics meal, are an international business now, so I feel like well, any I'm, name, you know. And there are guys like, named Ashley. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm saying, like, if I heard the name Emmy, if I heard the name Jordy, I, you know, I would be kind of in that limbo of, 
it's kind of like that expectation, like Jordy from uh, from Star Trek is kind of where my mind would first go. So I'd be leaning more towards Guy, but it's like, but it also kind of has that feminine quality to it. Like mm-hmm. Emmy, I could definitely like see meeting a guy named Emmy, but I would say like most of the Emmys are going to be uh, on TV because that's where Emmys are presented. Um, <laughs> and I know there's probably like there's probably somebody out there who's like, don't misgender people, yada yada yada. But well, you know. That's life. Get over it. Grow up. You're probably an adult. Anyway, probably. Uh, I don't but mean to. I don't awesome. mean to misgender people, and I correct myself as soon as I do. But I, you know, I feel weird referring to everyone as they all the time. This is yeah. getting into places that I don't want to go. Um, it's like the times when I would greet customers at work, and I'd see them from behind, and I would think that they were a sir when they were in fact a ma'am. Uh, I have a friend who often gets confused for a woman, um, and he is a guy, and it's always hilarious. It's like never not funny because he's like he's just a really like chill guy. He doesn't like get all offended by it or anything. It's just always a funny story that he'll be like in line at the grocery store, and somebody will come up and be like, "Oh, excuse me, miss, another lane has opened up." Then he turns around and he has like a massive beard. Does he? <laughs> Does he like just have like long hair or something? Is yeah, he, well, like, he has he has long hair a, and you know, a, a feminine little, shape, a little bit of a feminine figure. <laughs> but yeah. he's got a massive beard. He's got a giant beard. Probably yeah. to compensate for the fact that deep down he secretly is fuming at everyone confusing him. No, he, and, he another thing really is with, could, with with guys like it's, I mean I know there's like the macho guys that would like hate to ever be associated with femininity. Um, I've never really like i mean i've never been really associated with the masculine ideal so i'm like i'm you know certainly not offended if someone thinks i have certain feminine characteristics um but i think it's more i I would women tend to find it more uncomfortable or um embarrassing when they're confused for men now see nick i would be more surprised to find out that you had any masculine quantities that would be quantities i'd be surprised to find out if you knew how to structure a sentence Oh, oh, don't even. <laughs> Do not even. Um, yeah, I mean, let's face it. I probably don't have a lot of masculine things going for me. But let, you know what? <laughs> I really what, love the pause what, what that just filled mask? that space. Okay, Nick, <laughs> we are not here to discuss gender politics or gender dynamics. Because that, that is a can Whoa. of worms that I do not but, want to open. But I feel like Plutona creates the perfect gateway to discussing gender roles in modern society. Does it? I don't know. I mean, like, the whole Emmy Lennox thing kind of opened that whole can of worms, and I feel like... Yeah, okay, we're, we're, we're we are rabbit-holing right now. ...to not open this can of worms. Uh, now, you want to talk about something that could possibly open a discussion about gender politics, or many discussions, depending on how you want to approach this book, is The Wicked and the Divine. And I said last week that I was going to have read the first volume by this week's episode. And so today I fulfilled that promise. Like the first promise you've ever fulfilled. How oh! dare you? Uh, you know, one day we're going to finish that, uh, that Hellblazer challenge. <laughs> no, we're not. No, probably not. Uh, anyway, the wicked and the divine is a book that's been coming out for about a year now. Uh, from, I should probably know the creative team, um, from Kieran Gillen and artist Jamie McKilvey. Uh, known for their work on Young Avengers from Marvel, among okay. other books. Very cool. And uh, colorist Matthew Wilson, which I, it's very important to list the colorist because 
the colors are a big part of uh, of what I enjoyed about this book. But anyway, what this book is about is uh, it is about well from the back. Every ninety years, twelve gods return as young people. They are loved. They are hated. In two years, they are all dead. It's happening now. It's happening again. So that's the basic structure of the book. Mm-hmm. And we're not, I mean, we are following the gods. But we're following it through a narrative character uh, whose name is Laura. And it all takes place in London, which is where this, this recurrence is what the event is called, is happening. And Laura uh, goes to go see, because all, you know, in, in the modern age, um, when all of these gods are around, they are a sort of pop group. Uh, not necessarily not a pop group. They're like all pop idols in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like, I don't even think all of them do music. It's just all very bizarre. Um, they you know they obviously they attract young people with their you know just their being their essence as mm-hmm. it were. Um, anyway, what was I saying about this book? So the, so yeah, the the recurrence is happening. Laura is attracted to them and kind of ends up getting uh getting mixed up in all of their happenings. Um she This goes, is a happening? <laughs> yes. Oh god, it's terrible. Burn it. Uh, Plot twist at the end. It's an M Night Shyamalan story. What a twist. Um oh man, I wish I I got to capture that the what a twist uh soundbite from Robot Chicken. Have you ever you ever seen that? I'm a, I've probably not. I have not seen a lot of Robot Chicken. Uh, let's see. Because this is totally, you know, I'll find this later and we'll talk about it later. Oh, we don't uh, have time for gender politics, but we have time for Googling. I, hey, I stopped. Quotes. I stopped it right now. I stopped it. Okay. But anyway, the Wicked and Divine, Laura gets involved in everything that's going on. Um, and there's also this reporter character who's very skeptical because the gods don't really do much when they're around. You know, they claim like, oh yeah, we're the Pantheon and we're these gods. Uh, but they don't really do anything. They're just like kind of worshipped. And then eventually they die. There's a lot about this book that there's still a mystery. And I haven't read anything past the first volume. So I don't know if they get into the mystery. I mean, I'm sure they do. But I don't I don't know what they've answered and what they haven't. No, it'll just be a series of like a hundred issues that well, lead nowhere. Okay, it's hilarious because I was reading today, like how long is this book gonna be? I was just curious, and it's gonna be anywhere from thirty to sixty. Like cool. that that's a big gap though. Uh like I could I you know, I feel like thirty you could be rushing yourselves a little, but then just like the closer you get to sixty, it could also be like, all right, we're just like dragging this out at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's some very interesting concepts here, but you know, having not read more, I don't know how much they're expanding on. And this concept itself, I don't know if it could, it could sustain itself for a hundred issues. Um, I'm even surprised that really it's going for 30 to 60. Um, you know, I, I'm sure they have lots of really cool ideas in their heads about what to do. Uh, I'm, so, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm a little confused about what exactly the Pantheon does while they're here. Um, they have a protect, a protector, man, I really can't talk to Nate, uh, a protector whose name that I cannot remember, who she just kind of shows up every, uh, every 90 years when this happens and just like watches over them. And so she trains them and just basically keeps like, just keeps an eye on them until they die. Um, it is not her. Where is she? Ananak. Uh, I'm not sure to pronounce a lot of these. 
unfortunately. <laughs> they, they picked uh, a lot of the more obscure gods. Well, but here's also where I'm going with this. Not all of these are gods. Um, okay. Well, primarily one of the characters that is uh, one of the main characters in this first volume is Lucifer. Lucifer is not a god. Lucifer is a fallen angel. Would you consider that not so much that they're gods, but they're deities? Would be a, uh, a more appropriate term? Well, I... But they call themselves gods. Like, that's the thing. They say, like, they say, like we, are these, we are these 12 gods. Are you saying that a pop star has never mislabeled themselves, David? It's not the pop star. It's even like it's even like their their guardian. And there's also um, another one, uh, Baphomet, who comes up. Who I was kind of doing a digging into a few of these, but uh, Baphomets are, well, okay, I guess they are sometimes uh, deities, but I don't like some of these aren't. You know, they they act like oh, they're really solid like you know, concepts of, like, singular gods, but some of them aren't. They're very nebulous concepts that are names that can kind of refer to a number of different characters. Hmm. So my curiosity with this book does kind of come into play in, like, all right, how are we saying that Lucifer is a god? How are we saying, like, which version... Well, they kind of say which version of, of uh, Baal this is, but like, the, like, Baphomet. Like, Baphomet, again, is more of a concept rather than a singular figure. Um, but you do have other ones, you know, you have like Woden, who is, um, I believe that's actually the name for Odin. Yeah. Um, uh, you have Amaterasu, who's a Shinto god, um, Minerva, and some of them, again, also, uh, some of them are, um, like Minerva's a Roman goddess. Uh, one of them is, I think, Persephone. No, not Persephone. That's another Roman god. Um, Erder is a uh north oh, there's one that i was reading i'm sorry i'm going on rabbit hole here another one where it was said like it's not really a um a god it's a a figure in irish mythology hmm. um so I'd, I'd actually be really curious to read like interviews with these creators to see like why did you pick these specific ones um and in that and it's funny because like that hook of the mystery makes me want to go deeper into this I don't think that's necessarily like the hook they expect everyone to have, uh, which is totally, you know, totally fine. So let, let me kind of dig into the meat of this. Uh, you have these gods who come and they don't really do much. They get worshipped and then they die. The, why they have to die within two years? Again, not explained. Sure, that's a mystery that's going to be eventually resolved. Um, and in this one, you have uh, the character of Lucifer who ends up doing a display of power which angers the other gods and kind of outs them because, you know, everybody really doubts that they have power because they don't go around flaunting it. And when Lucifer does flaunt the powers a bit, everyone uh, like starts going you know, crazy, trying to figure out these mysteries. And then it becomes, uh, by the end of this first volume, I'm not going to say how, but it becomes very public. And I'm mm -hmm. glad that it became public. I don't always love books when it's like, everything here is really super secret. And we're going to like, like, we're still going to do stuff in public, but then we're going to pretend that like it's all super, super really secret. Uh, I'm looking at event or not event, Transformers 2, which Transformers 2, the entire premise of that movie is that the giant fight that happened in the middle of downtown Los Angeles between giant robots was all like, oh, no, it didn't happen. It's just a rumor online. <laughs> like, obviously, the kind of thing that you shouldn't be able to. 
like sweep under the rug. Yeah, the but ter- you're also using transformers as right as an example, which as, I shouldn't. Be. But I'm saying that's, that's a very extreme example of really bad storytelling. But that's kind of the concept I'm going for. You know, that's just an example of like stuff where things happen in public. They're very like you know, like people would be around and in this day and age with you know we're recording and taking pictures of stuff. Um, it, I would hate if they were like, oh, we're just going to sweep it under the rug and be like, whoa, it was just all crazy pyrotechnics. Ha, 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 And, uh, and, you know, there's also all these hints that Laura is probably more than she thinks she is. Like, she might be one of the Pantheon. Um, Storytelling-wise, it's, it's pretty well done. It, there's a couple of times where it tries to be, and, you know, this is me saying, uh, how old is Laura supposed to be? Because she's supposed to be, I think, like 16 or something, 17. Um, you know, I'm saying this is a 26-year-old. Uh, there's times where it's like, I feel like they're trying to be a little too much of, like, we really understand, uh, you know, like, all the crazy technologies, like, we're going to mention Snapchat a bunch, and, like, oh, this character was using Vine. And those things, like, are all super important, but... So what like, you're I, saying is that, is that as I'm a 26-year-old, you've come completely disconnected from no, no, what no. young people love doing. Like, I just say I don't, I don't know if those things are really as prevalent as they say they are. Maybe they are more in Britain than they are, like, over here, I don't really, I don't really pay attention to Vine. I'm making myself sound like a really grumpy old guy. <laughs> you sound like a grumpy old guy. Which, I, I work with, um, yeah, uh, you were, you were a with lot more of young people, like high school and you college kids, and uh, yeah, they all talk about Vine and following someone on Vine or everyone Snapchats. Everyone, they're like, "Do you use Snapchat?" I'm like, "I don't. I barely understand what Snapchat is." Like, "Oh, are you Snapchat. following my story?" I'm like, "I don't understand what that means." So, all right. So maybe, yeah. you know, maybe that is an area where I just thought they were being a little ridiculous, but that's me just being like 26. And if I was 17, I'd be like, yeah, cool. Totally fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, as I was saying, storytelling wise, things are, you know, like it's, it's well done. There's, there definitely does seem to be a planning to this. At least I hope there is like, cause the first few issues are written with, uh, with a lot of confidence that mm-hmm. if it was like, oh man, we kind of been making it up and we're going to have to keep making it up would be really disappointing. Uh, or it's like, all the explanation for this, we're going to pull out of our ass later on. You know, that kind of comes in the like, why the 30 to 60 range? Um, is it like George R. R. Martin where it's like, oh, he kind of knows how it's going to end. It's like, we're just going to take our time to get there. Or is it like, uh, you know, we have an ending for these first few stories, but we're just going to keep going and, you know. It, it could get really crazy and nonsensical, and then Laura and Amaterasu are going to open a bakery, and that's just going to be the storyline we follow for a while. Well. Um, so one area where this really, uh, where this book really shone for me was in the art, and the art uh, for most of it is, um, it's got like you know the photorealism, uh, very you know very expressive faces. Um, the bodies feel natural. They don't feel like awkward, you know, like awkward people posing. Um, mm-hmm. But the way, like, again, the places that it really stands out is when the gods are using their powers. And uh, that's where I think, like, really the colorist also comes into play. Like, things can get very, like, psychedelic mm-hmm. in, like, a really good, really cool way. Um, 
like it it's like it's the stuff like it doesn't seem like it fits but it's stuff that's so uh supernatural and spectacular that if it was happening in front of you it you know it wouldn't just like seem like it all like fits and like it would look exactly how you think it was like these are extremely supernatural beings doing extremely supernatural things and yeah it's going to be very surreal and very different than you would expect it to be like there's a part where a guy catches on fire and like the um it goes in like this very 70s like pop art like even the uh I'm looking now at his face. I didn't notice before. His face is made up of, like, the dots, you know, that they had uh, and a lot of, like, pop art back then. And, mm-hmm. like, the um, the smoke around him is all green and the backgrounds are all orange. Uh, it's really cool. And and that's, like, that's areas, like, really got me interested uh, in, in really, you know, like, the art is, is good. I don't want to say the art is bad. Um, but it was, like, that part where the art really, really popped and really... Um, you know, conveyed the story very, very well. So all in all, I did enjoy the first volume of The Wicked and the Divine. Um, I probably will keep reading it, uh, as I've said a couple times, for various, um, you know, various reasons. I I would be interested to see, this is something that I'd be fine with them doing in the 30 to 60 arc, uh, is looking at past pantheons. Mm -hmm. Maybe, Maybe like do a, you know, like five issue run where we look at five different versions of them. Um, throughout the uh, ages and see what happens, which I'm sure they're probably planning that. That wouldn't really surprise anyone. Um, but yeah, Wicked and the Divine. Uh, it's not it's not my new favorite book, but it was good. You know, I do I definitely do see the charm. Why people are all about it. Uh, it, it has not unseated Saga or Rumble from that very special place in my heart. But it's. Uh, I can definitely, I can definitely see what would attract a lot of people to this. Cool. Yeah, it's it's one of those books that are on my, I I um, have it on like humble bundle. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I think um, I probably do too somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you got it for free though, right? From your shopper, or, uh, or did you have like a twenty dollar credit or something? Yeah, I had like twenty percent off. Oh, oh, right, right. So. I mean, now you own it twice, maybe. But yeah, anyway, so it's it's on one of my, I've read like maybe the first two issues or one and a half issues and I liked what I was reading, but I wasn't like so absorbed that I couldn't put it down and just had to like read through the whole volume. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it grabbed me necessarily right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's part of why, you know, that I'm not like raving over it. Um so much is like there wasn't like a lot like a lot of immediate hook for me and i don't even wouldn't necessarily say that i'm I'm even like really hooked like i need to know what happens next like yeah i'd like to know what happens next but yeah I'm, I'm and not... when you come across the the second volume and it's you know whatever you're willing to spend or whatever right like I, you're down with yeah i'm not i'm not rushing out to go buy volume two like right now like i'll wait until i have another free graphic novel probably from uh from my shop and i'm like yeah now it's time to to get back on it now is the time. Um, well, that. Uh, let's see. Any other books you didn't read? New Angels, but uh, you know, I read some other stuff. What, um, what other stuff did you read? Uh, Jupiter's Legacy is still Jupiter's Circle. Jupiter's Circle is still coming out. There's a difference. Did, did I talk about it? I think I talked about issue five uh, a bit because I, I caught up on all of them. Um, and this actually, I think this was actually my favorite issue so far. Oh yeah. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I did, I did talk about it last time. I remember, I remember talking about the artists and all that. Um, this is picking off, off of number five, where you have uh, two of the characters. I don't remember all of the their names, and that's more on me than it is on uh, Malar and team. Um, but this, you know, this is where you really kind of see the biggest fractions in the in in the superhero teams um, coming up, because you have one of the guys leave. The biggest fractures. Yeah, what did I say? Fractions. You said fractions. Yeah, it you know still <laughs> still applies. Anyway, the biggest fractures. I don't know words. Shush. <laughs> um, a tough day, man. Yeah, you know what? I don't need your sass. You can get your sass out of here. Well, sass oh man. Okay, so like. Side story real quick. Um, I, I was doing coverage tonight for work, doing support coverage. And this is probably partially why I'm like all worked up and dead inside. Uh, is that I had like this one guy wrote in and was like, uh, I'm, I'm going to cuss here. So, you know, cover your ears, insensitive children. But was like, like, you're, you know, your fucking shit doesn't work, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and then he like he uh, he was saying like it's very like and then he responded again to his stuff and he said K I S S keep it simple stupids, to which I'm like bro you did not at all indicate to me what the issue is, like you're just saying it doesn't work so I have you know I respond very calmly I'm like oh what seems to be the problem here's uh you know here's a possible solution based on what I think you're saying, and uh, then he comes back. It's like, no, it's just like, it doesn't work. Like, uh, you know, the stuff you gave me, it's stupid. Make it simple. You know, like the username and password. He's like, it's stupid. Make it simple. Uh, it, does, it just doesn't work. I'm like, did you even try the stuff that I told you to do? Like, dude, did you even try the stuff that I, I hate you? I hate you so much. Uh, but like, it, it also and, like angered me because he didn't type in sentences. There was no punctuation. Nothing was capitalized. He used the letter U when it was like stuff doesn't work. It was stuff doesn't WK. I'm like, what does Andrew WK have to do with this? And yes, it is time to party. Uh, it just it was like you're not like you're not treating me at all as a human being who could who really really wants to punch you in the face. Like I would say, who like could kick your ass? I don't know. This guy could be roided out and like really huge, uh, and maybe I couldn't. But I think that I could get angry enough to, like, bite his ankles until he gets disturbed. Uh, <laughs> so that, you know, that kind of, like, set me on edge just, just a little bit. Anyway, back. I, I can understand that. I mean, like, yeah, you, if, you work in customer if, service. I do work customer service. And when, and maybe not quite in the same way that, that you do, but um, obviously there's a lot of overlap. And when I can understand people being frustrated. Not everyone's going to pick up, say, whatever it is the product is that you're that you're servicing or supporting, or say a product that I sell. Um, but like, you will never reach any kind of reasonable conclusion or resolution just by stomping your feet and throwing a temper tantrum. Yeah, well, and, and the thing was too, and I I worked customer service a lot. It's like if somebody comes up to you angry, and uh, you turn around and then you're like, oh man, I'm you know I'm sorry, there seems to be an issue, like. But, you know, let's try to fix it. Let me tell, you know, let me offer this solution, yada, yada. Like a lot of people will soften up and they'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, thank you. I appreciate you trying, like giving me a solution. Like this guy didn't soften up. This guy became more of an ass. Yeah. 
And that, that, he that, doesn't even know what it is that he wants. Like he wants it to work, but he yeah. wants something that's so unreasonable that he almost knows that he can't get it. So he just has to lash out and well, eventually he'll probably calm down. But he, also the he fact could that, get it, man. If he just did what I said, if he just changed browsers, that's all the solution that I think he needs. Like he just needs to whatever, like, you know, Internet Explorer he was using. He just has to go over and use Firefox. And I guarantee you his problem was going to be fixed. See, but if he's also typing in fractured sentences, see, there's the word, David, fractured, with like... No one likes you. <laughs> you know, saying things like you instead of Y-O-U. Um, I mean, this guy doesn't have a lot of hope. Yeah, and he's in, he's in university, man. He's going to college. This is a student? Yeah. So what do you sell, like college-related uh, it's, it's, it's simulation software that, uh, caught like colleges use. This is really boring. Nobody wants to hear what I do. No, no, no. I totally hear what you're saying though. And, uh, uh, the last aside being that like Anna always tells me, cause she works with a lot of, um, um, college age, like college students that are like assisting with her, her, uh, her center. Uh, and that as, 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 as smart quote unquote, as these people are supposed to be like, they're kind of dumb. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, uh, I'm well, you know, college college is, is much less a, like, big deal for people to get into as it was back in the day. Yeah. Uh, where back in the day, it was like, like, nobody went to college. You probably went to, like, a family trade or you, like, went and worked in a mail room and, like, tried to work your way up the ladder. Now it's pretty common for people to go to college. Yeah. And, you still... and, and I think, I guess, that's, that dilutes the pool a little bit. Yeah. Uh, like us. Like, we totally... Oh, I, 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 sh I shouldn't have gone to college. Oh, no, I'm aware of that. Um, <laughs> no. but um, anyway, but... Jupiter's Circle is what <laughs> this whole conversation started with. So Jupiter's Circle, uh, you know, last issue, you had this one guy was dating a girl, but he's, you know, he was the one in the, in the group who was always very flirtatious and kind of all over the place with women uh, and then found one he wanted to settle down with, but he was still a little too, like, flashy and immature for her. Uh, that's mm -hmm. kind of how I took it. So they broke off, and then she started dating Walter, who, if you remember, Walter's kind of uh, the main antagonizing force in Jupiter's Legacy. That's the uncle who gets Brandon to, like, to kill his dad and everything. Mm -hmm. um, he starts dating this girl that broke up with the other superhero, and they, like, they, you know, they keep it secret. Uh, he, like, builds, you know, cities for them in, 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 like, psychically in their heads so they can, like walk around together and uh and you know have like this whole secret relationship and he wants to go public and she's like afraid to and then like the thing that keeps coming up is the guy that got dumped um i feel really bad for not knowing his name because i'm gonna keep referring to him uh but the guy who got dumped kind of keeps bringing up this question of did you like did he psychically trick her into breaking up with me hmm. um you know, did he like manipulate her mind, even if she didn't know it, to not wanting to be with me? And uh, and of course, like Walter, you know, is, is against it. But it, you know, kind of keeps coming up to the point where um, where even the Utopian, you know, it's his brother. Like even the Utopian asks him, like, did you do it? Because you know, Walter, you're not the most savory guy in the world. And this guy like was really, truly heartbroken over everything that happened. Like, you know, it seems like it might actually be a possibility that you did that. Oh, uh, Walter. So it, you know, it's, it's actually really well crafted. Um, 
probably the best uh, Mark Millar ending aside from uh, Red Sun. Um, but the, the thing, like, there's there's a couple things in this that I think they might be, be building up some hints mm-hmm. into Jupiter's legacy. Uh, like they talk about the supervillain prison that I don't know if it's been brought up yet. Um, was... Oh, it wasn't brought up in Jupiter's legacy, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, not that I remember, but it, you know that book started two years ago. Uh, three, <laughs> I think, actually. I uh, was actually in a Barnes and Noble the other day, and I came across the collected edition, and I was like flipping through, and I was like, "Wow, this is so such quaint memories." Right. Things uh, were so simpler back then. Things were so simpler. Things were so much, much more simple. Right. Shut up, David. You're <laughs> <Yeah>. not perfect, <laughs> Mr. Fraction. Matt Fraction? I'm Matt Fraction? Uh, yeah. Anyway, so like the hints, the things that I think they're hinting at is they you know, say this is an escape-proof prison, prison for a thousand supervillains. How many supervillains are down there? And is that going to come into play in Volume 2? And also this guy who, uh, who left the group... Um, but like didn't die he just went to go disappear and they were like you know do you think we could find him it's like well if he doesn't want to be found he's not going to be found Mm -hmm. so is this a character that's still like in because they show him at the end and he sees like a bank robbery happening and he doesn't do anything about it so he has superpowers he was really strong uh as was shown earlier in the book but he doesn't you know he's put that life behind him so is this a character that's going to be around and could possibly show up later Hmm. It's hard to say like how much of this gets resolved because I know there's supposed to be an additional six issues of Jupiter's uh, uh, circle. Um, be- presumably before we get to the next volume of Jupiter's Legacy. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, is that is this a character that's going to get resolved in within this this um, flashback book, or is it well, something that, that could carry over to the next volume? That's what I'm saying. It could carry over, and I think like they might be be like, hey, we're going to start hinting at some stuff. I'm totally all for. Uh, well, that's cool. Cause yeah, this this is this is the last issue of the current Circle volume, right? I think so. Yeah, like the definitely the, definitely the way that it was set up is it was you know a two part story. So I think it's definitely the end of whatever part one is. Okay. Uh, I'm curious to go into part two because part one hasn't been my favorite overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd like to see a little bit more a uh, little more stuff happen going forward. But yeah, that's uh, that's comics, and I read some other stuff this week. But you know, we we won't talk about that here. We we've shared some thoughts. Uh, what we're going to move on to now is Nick. Are you ready for a quiz? No. That's right. No. Okay, I'm ready. The quiz has returned. Dun, dun, dun. And this one, Nick, uh, I didn't think of a clever name for it, um, but instead, I'm just going to describe it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, who came first, the character or the actor? So, the character or the actor, to give you your, your example question, who came first, Patrick Stewart or Professor Xavier? Wait, what? Who? Sorry, who was born? Like, was Patrick Stewart born before Professor X was created, or was Professor X created before Patrick Stewart was born? Oh, 
Patrick Stewart is, that your answer? is older. Yes. Well, I mean, you just you don't have to say that. You can just tell me the actor or the character. But yeah, Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Stewart. So that was your sample question. Patrick Stewart okay. was born July 13th, 1940. Professor Xavier's first appearance was September 1963. I feel like given some of the characters, if this is going to be a recurring thing, it's almost exclusively going to be the comic book character. Well, we're going to have to see. Uh, for right now, we're doing only Marvel because, well, the DC characters are really old. And I'm pretty sure Ben Affleck is not uh, around before... Batman. 1930, 1939 or something. Yeah. All right. So your first actual question. Who okay. came first? Hugh Jackman or Wolverine? Wolverine. What? Wolverine was created or first appeared in October 1974. And Hugh Jackman was born October 12th, 1968. What? So Hugh Jackman is older than wow, Wolverine. Hugh Jackman is older. Yeah. He's old. So, speaking of which, did you hear the rumor that uh, Wolverine three might in fact be Old Man Logan in some regards? Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, yeah. I also read Old Man Logan this week. It's pretty good. Good for you, David. Yeah, thanks. Uh, he meets She Hulk. All right, next up. She Hulk. Who came oh, first? Old Man Logan, Secret Wars, Old Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Who came first, Storm or Halle Berry? Storm. Storm was created May 1975. Halle Berry was born August 14th, 1966. Halle Berry is older than Storm. What? Why yeah. am I sucking at this? You do suck at this. And these are all Marvel ones. Like, I already said that. Yeah. Uh, so that Those were your X-Men questions. You failed terribly. Who came first? Peter Quill or Chris Pratt? Peter Quill. This was a close one. Peter Quill was created June 1977. Chris Pratt was born June 21st, 1979. So I Peter win one. Quill, Peter Quill was older. Uh, I forgot to mention what horrible things will happen to your family if you fail. Uh, uh, have you seen uh, Raiders? Not Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, Last Crusade. Uh, yeah, they're, you're gonna do like the, the gonna, grail thing. They're gonna suddenly age and then like fall apart as skeletons. So what? How about how about whatever their age is? Like say they're how old is one of my brothers? Twenty. He's twenty. He's almost twenty-eight. He'll reverse to eighty-two. He'll reverse to eighty-two. Yeah. All right. So yeah. Fine. That, that'll be your punishment 82. if you fail. Now my dad will become forty-seven. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, who came first? Um, crap, what was that question? Uh, I haven't asked it yet. Oh, Who okay. came first, Zoe Saldana or Gamora? Uh, Zoe Saldana. Zoe Saldana was born June 19th, 1978. Gamora first appeared June 1975. <gasps> Gamora For some reason I thought she came out later. Nope. Dang it. Yep. This is interesting, though. It's yeah, interesting it's, to think about. It is It is fun. I, I'm going to try to drag up more of these later. But your last one, which I think I'm asking you one more than usual. No, I'm asking you five. Uh, your last one is who came first? Drax the Destroyer or Dave Bautista? Drax the Destroyer. 
Drax the Destroyer first appeared February 1973. Dave Bautista was born January 18th, 1969. <clears throat> Dave Bautista is older. Man, like, these people are so old. You got only one question correct, Nick. Holy crap. I'm really bad at this. You are. You are. I should have written more just to embarrass you. <laughs> I mean, eventually, I mean, it may have equaled out, but... I don't know what the right you were going. Fair enough. So that was your quiz. Who came first, the character or the actor? You're gonna that, have was, to, that was tough. You're going to have to hone your skills for next time. Um, Apparently I need to know the ages of celebrities who... Well, I mean, yeah, celebrities are always probably going to be older than you think they are. That's That's true. That is true. I guess it's just weird to think about in respect to, like... You know, for some reason to me, it's like Chris Pratt's only been on the scene for a little bit. So in my mind, he must be younger, you know, closer to our age than to, you know, other ages. But in fact, a lot of these people are born like a decade before us. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. All right. Uh, We're going to move on now to some news. And I forgot what clip I played. I meant to play some clips now when stuff was happening. Uh, Do you remember what clip I played for the news last week? I do not. Was it? Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yes, it was. All right. So, Spider-Man and his amazing friends are joining us now for the news. And there's some there's some pretty big news this week. So we're just going to dive right into it. Uh, another book announced for Marvel post-Secret Wars is Guardians of Infinity. Oh. They've actually been announcing a bunch of different books. Guardians of Infinity is an interesting premise. Give us the rundown. What's what's going on in Guardians of Infinity? Because I don't, I, uh, I don't even really know. Uh, it's written by Dan Abnett, I believe, uh, and I forget who the artist is. Um, but it's basically somewhat of a continuation of what Dan Abnett, Dan Abnett was doing with the Guardians Three Thousand, which was technically the original Guardians of the Galaxy. From mm-hmm. the year 3000. Um, plus, it's going to feature some present-day Guardians. And it's, apparently it's also going to feature Guardians from the year 2000. So, hmm. no, not, I'm sorry, that's wrong. The year 1000. Um, well, yeah, it will feature Guardians from the year 2000, I suppose. I mean, within the generation of the 2000s. So basically, it's going to be somewhat of a time-hopping book where you're going to see three generations of guardians characters all working as one huh. uh why that's the case i have no idea yeah no, well i i'll tell you why it's the case hey guardians of the galaxy are really popular right now let's crank out another guardians of the galaxy book they make the money they do uh but it is being written by dan abnett and jason latour and art by carlo baberi and jim cheong I okay, so Latour, uh, Latour and Chiang are doing a backup that I remember. Mm-hmm. It's right, Carlo Barbary, who has a unique style, not one of my favorites. Um, uh, it, it's somewhat cartoonish, which I don't, I don't it, which I don't mind. Um, but it's, I, I feel like he really has the potential to explode, but hasn't quite hit that like next level style with mm-hmm. his his work yet. Um, so it's again, it's not like a book. It's sometimes, and this is really like no disrespect to the artist working on the books. You can kind of tell when 
a book. I mean, the fact that it's having backups by Chiang, who in the eyes of Marvel is like a heavy hitter, you uh-huh. know? Um, they're, they're, they're like, trying to throw like some desi- He's like a designated hitter for Marvel, so yeah. to speak. They're trying uh, to throw some term. weight behind it. Uh, what? They're trying to throw some weight behind the book. Some weight behind it, some weight behind But it's hard, you know, I don't, I, Latour and Chiang, I, I think, are only on it for that issue. Hmm. Um, it is, what I will say, though, is that props to Marvel. One thing that Marvel does is, compared to DC, they don't tend to let books stick, like certain volumes stick around long enough. Uh, for, um, for, you know, if, if a book is just like, like not doing it in the sales, in which I imagine Guardians 3000 was not doing so well. Um, they then tried to boost it a bit with the Korvac saga uh, during Secret Wars, which I don't know how well that's done. Uh, and apparently they still see enough merit in it. So what they try to do instead of just relaunching Guardians 3000, say, 500 times, is for books that are struggling to find an audience, they'll keep trying to play with the names. In some cases, Guardians of Infinity might you know, name recognition wise might sell better than something like Guardians 3000. Um, so, but at the, at the same core, you're basically following the same plots from the original Guardians 3000 books. Um, so I'm actually going to take back what I said. Carlos Barbary is not a designated hitter for Marvel. Uh, he's kind of a, a pinch hitter, it seems like. Like he's never, I, I, it never feels like there's a lot of traction behind a Carlos Barbary book. Um, that's nothing to say, like, if you really enjoy the quality of his work, like, that's completely subjective. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll be curious to see what his artwork looks like. I think the last time I saw his artwork was on Scarlet Spider, and I, I liked it. Um, like, it wasn't like, I wasn't, like, blown away, but it was, you know, serviceable for the story that, it, that he was telling. Uh, I'm not sure why I'm going on a Carlos Barbary rant, because I barely know his work at all, but, uh, there you go. There's Guardians of Infinity. Guardians of Infinity coming to a comic shelf near you eventually. Did you? Uh, I forgot to put this in the in the show notes, but I guess we can talk about it right here. Um, you were saying how Marvel's kind of, uh, you know, kind of like just quietly closing some books up occasionally, like the statement from uh, Jim Lee and Dan DiDio about DCU about their their. Uh, bleeding cools the whole thing about how they're that uh, they've lost like two million dollars so they need to like really cut back on their experimentation now kind yeah, of thing. Oh, oh, yeah yeah bleeding cool that guy's totally level-headed and uh, and gonna bring us unbiased news um i mean really if you read the statement what they're saying is like you know some of these you know people wanted us to be more diverse and more creative and we did that and you know people weren't behind the book it's or behind that movement as much. Um, it, it's disappointing, but we're not giving up on DCU, mm-hmm. uh, which was, you know, which was good to hear. And I think like they know, and they, you know, they kind of said in their statement, like, we know these things take some time to grow. Um, it's just like with the numbers coming out, it's obviously going to look really disappointing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to cut back and cut all ties. And you know, that whole thing with like, we don't want, we just don't want everybody bat girling. Um, yeah. Which I, I mean, I don't. Did they even come out and, and speak publicly about Batgirling? I, you know, I haven't heard anything. And like that phrase, that, it's that, one of those things that, like, on one hand, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I, my head's not into the the financial aspects of all this. Like, there probably are business talks going on about what they're going to do, but it's not like this is the first time that a, a major comics publisher has struggled. You know, and DC has technically been routinely struggling to 
you know, catch up to Marvel for years, you know, for decades. Um, so DCU, you know, may not have been the success that they had hoped for. It may not have been a new 52 take two, but um, I think the concern was that they equated their desire to experiment with failure. And that's not the case. So certain books, you know, say based on their sales, like if Prez was a super hot seller, you know that they would have found a way to extend it at past 12 issues. Yeah. And now they're doing two six issue miniseries, I guess, you know, it's like sometimes money talks. So yeah, not all these books are doing well, Well, but books, but I didn't, but I didn't take anything they said as, Hey, we're going to stop experimenting. Oh no, no, no. That I, I know they're not that that's the, that was the concern that a lot of people had between bleeding cool, um, running the story and them kind of speaking out about it that, like people are gonna say, oh well, they canceled that book. They must have seen DCU as a failure, and everything's gonna go back to fifty different Batman books, you know. And and that's mm-hmm. that's just not gonna be the case. They're always going to try and to try and experiment. It might be on a micro level where okay, um, uh, Prez goes away or whatever, um, but we're going to then release this other book that might be like say a more popular DC character, but reinvented to a certain extent, like kind yeah. of what they're doing with Black Canary and Batgirl. Yeah, you know, that's kind of more the point. Like Prez, okay, but someone like Midnighter or Batgirl or Black Canary, like that's more what people are, are looking and hoping for is taking existing, popular mainstream characters and finding kind of that indie spin that you can do with them. Yeah, and they're totally. I mean, there totally is movement for that. You know, look at what they're. Uh, allowing them to do even like with Batman, even as short lived as that, you know, might be, this is still an incredibly crazy concept that DC would not have allowed to happen years ago, like a couple years ago. I love uh, it so much. It's so great. And I mean, even look at stuff that's going on with Superman where it's like, Hey, we're going to like depower Superman and just have him be a public figure. Like that's not something they, they did with Superman at any point really in his mm-hmm. in his career and now that's like that's canon that's how it is if they one more day it people will riot and i will probably help lead those riots but i, I don't necessarily see them doing that yeah uh, because because they've kind of told all of these superman clark kent stories i feel like they can tell they, yeah they, they, they have an that. opportunity to really take it in a new direction mm-hmm. uh but nick why don't you tell us uh from our, our list of news stories there what what's catching your eye um I oh my computer just shut down. Oh no, here we go. We're good. We're good. Um, so definitely uh, to to stick with the uh, the backroom talk, the uh, whole Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios separating from Marvel Entertainment proper and working directly underneath um, is it Alan Horn yeah. and uh, Disney proper. Mm-hmm. Is is kind of a big thing. That was like the least exciting way to tell to it. Announce is, it this, is it is a big thing, and people. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, we're we're going to talk about the story now. So it's funny because the way it happened was that Kevin uh, Kevin Feig uh, basically went to Alan Horn and was like, "Hey, Ike Perlmutter is really like harshing my vibe," and uh, and Alan Horn's like, "All right, we're going to go ahead and just restructure Mar- like the entire Marvel." cinematic uh company then and we're going to bring you over here and have you no longer be under uh ike perlmutter's uh hand Mm -hmm. uh which it you know which is great in a lot of ways uh perlmutter is famously a a penny pincher 
you know, he's the reason that a lot of Marvel books are printed on cheap newsprint and they really try to maximize the profit as much as they can. Um, but that's, you know, it, it's easy to like to, to talk down on him and like boo down on him, but he really has done a lot for Marvel without him. Marvel would be dead. Uh, like back when, back in the days when toy biz bought it and he got them to all merge together. Um, yeah. He's, he's definitely in a way he's so heavily ingrained, uh, with Marvel as it is today that it's hard to imagine a Marvel. Um, I mean, it, there's no reason to believe that someone, that someone else could have come in from left field and, and turn Marvel into something, his contributions, you know, notwithstanding he still sounds like a terror um, right i mean there's so many rumors it's hard to say like what's true and what's not uh but i'm sure probably uh, you know there's there's hints of truth in all of them they, these rumors wouldn't come out if he wasn't a certain kind of way yeah um he's certainly odd i mean just his his certain public presence seems very controlled and tightly wound mm-hmm. but yeah yeah, and uh, they also announced. I didn't put this in the uh, news thing that they're they're disbanding this council. The kind of uh, uh, creative committee. Yeah, yeah, the creative committee um, that had uh, I forget who all was in it, but uh, I think Bendis and Casada were two of the names on there. Yeah, they basically walked with every book from the script to the screen and kind of you know would look over it and do rewrites and, and kind of keep things uh, under that control. So basically what they're saying is like, Hey, Kevin Feig, it's, it's all on you now. Uh, you're, you know, you're in charge of everything, which uh, it is cool. But there's also part of me that's like, Oh man, like you can't, you know, you can't necessarily just let a creative go wild because mm-hmm. sometimes you won't get the results that you want when you want them. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, they can start, like, bloating up uh, budgets. And, like, no, we need to do these, like, really, like, crazy things. Because, like, and, you know, I don't know how much of an artist Kevin Feige is. Uh, he seems like a pretty level-headed guy. It's just really you funny. You see, it's, it sounds like, and I don't, like, we're so far removed from this right. situation. We, we, it's we hard don't, to know, we don't know where people. Kevin Feige's contributions at, began and where the ultimate creative influence of, like, the directors, writers, and so on actually uh-huh. come into play uh, yeah like the creative council they say is part of the reason why edgar wright left um ant-man apparently and that's something that is news to me like i obviously i knew he left over creative differences but um you know it basically this makes me wonder like how much power did the creative community have well, I mean, you know, you, know you, you, you have to think like it could have even been a thing from Kevin Feige where he was like, oh, "Okay, we want to have this movie really tie into the Marvel Cinematic Universe." And so while he's off working on you know Avengers two, uh, the Creative Council's then talking to Edgar Wright and they're like trying to push this idea, and that's when he like backs off. You know, there's so much that we don't really know, um, which you know it's fine. I just I, you know it's hard to like point fingers because where really did these ideas all begin? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't necessarily know if Disney is going to be a whole lot looser with with Kevin Feig than Ike Perlmutter, definitely to an extent. But like people have to remember that Disney had a really big bomb this summer with Tomorrowland, and that's made them really gun shy on a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they canceled a you know Tron three because Tron two didn't do great. And then they had this, this big bomb. It's like, all right, we're going to start cutting back on some of these 
a little more original, a little more out there ideas and just stick to, to Pixar and, you know, what, and, and whatnot. And, you know, Marvel movies, which like this, you know, oh, more Marvel movies. Great. But, you know, I don't think we're going to be seeing a Squirrel Girl movie anytime soon. Someday. Uh, and one another thing is we don't know where Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. lands. Because um, Agents of Ag- S.H.I.E.L.D. is not a Marvel Studios property. It it falls on Marvel TV and supposedly That's Ike still, under still retains control over publishing and television mm-hmm. and the other multimedia stuff. Yeah. So that I mean that'll be interesting. I, I don't think these guys are petty. They don't seem petty. I don't think they're gonna like attack each other vis-a-vis TV shows and all that crap. According to Bleeding Cool, which I read it's a rumor site, they say there's a lot more upheaval to come. What that means, to what extent, good or bad, is the kind of thing that we're not going to know for a while. Well, who was... I was reading something from somebody where they were saying that... um, And it's like somebody, like a director, um, they were saying that eventually comic book movies are going to go the way of the Western. Steven Spielberg. Oh yeah. Spielberg, uh, said that. Which I agree with him. Like this is definitely not a long, like, I mean, Westerns were really big for years and years and years. I don't think he's saying like, Oh, they're going to die out tomorrow. But he's like, you know, we, we really do have a limited time with this genre being the box office King. Well, a counter argument to that, uh, which may have been posted in the same article by Joe Casada, which was done probably a few years ago was, and I'm paraphrasing, he was basically saying, like, um, no disrespect to the Western. Um, he may not have commented too much on the Western part. But the thing about superheroes is that it's something that Marvel has been doing somewhat successfully is the superhero is so, like, you can really merge it with just about any other genre. So it's the kind of thing where you could say Guardians of the Galaxy is a superhero film. But is it in the traditional sense? Because they're not really whipping around in, you know, Superman style and capes and tights and all that. You know, it's a space opera, so to speak. It's it's a space comedy. Um, so because, you know, you could do a superhero western. You could do a superhero crime, a superhero, whatever doctor procedural. Like you yeah. could do it in so many different flavors that you could almost never see the end of what might constitute a quote-unquote superhero film no and i I I, hmm? well i'm totally down with that that's totally cool but at the same time you will also get to a point where it's like but these movies all have to really be interconnected and people are going to stop going to see every single one well i think that could be the main thing that we'll probably see the implosion of the interconnected universe especially when you think like Yes, on some hand, there is a contingency of people that are totally into the interconnectivity of these movie universes. Mm-hmm. It's a huge undertaking. It's the first of its kind. It's big. It's sprawling. And it already kind of feels like it's at that point where, on one hand, it's just like, we're still growing. We've got five plus years. Like, yeah, you're looking forward to, like, Captain Marvel 1 and Black Panther 1 and Inhumans 1. But there's also the Infinity War 2 part. And you have to imagine that they may do an Ant-Man 2. They'll pro- if Black Panther and Captain Marvel are successful, they'll probably do a Black Panther 2 and 3. So at the very least, a lot of these properties you're seeing the next five years that might be original content, you're probably still looking at another five years after that for their follow-ups and their sequels. And presumably something's going to build on that. So when you're looking at the long game, it looks very overwhelming. And I can see audiences at some point possibly becoming turned off to this kind of long-term investment. Yeah. Um, well, I, think, I think... Just like, you know... 
I might die before the Marvel universe, Cinematic Universe ever completes its narrative. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think some people are beginning to get turned off. I know a lot of people who didn't go see Ant-Man, and there's the argument that a lot of people will see it when it you know comes out on um, on DVD or Blu-ray, or if they do get it to get like streaming somewhere, they will get a lot more people watching it that way. But I don't think for a lot of people are going to like make that a priority necessarily. And mm-hmm. true, like you know when civil war is coming out people are going to be like hey maybe i should check this out and oh great it's on dvd i can go red box it or we can download it off itunes uh so maybe you know right now talking out loud i'm i'm getting kind of a new perspective on this entirely and saying that the, the genre might find a way to sustain itself that way but you will still see a drop off in a not insignificant way given time yeah I, and I really think it comes down to the connectivity part. I think, if anything, we'll just start switching more towards independent franchises again. Because the kind yeah. of thing, like, oh, the kind of point I was trying to get across was, you know, a lot of people are seeing these movies for, say, Robert Downey Jr. There is a star factor to it that either Marvel happens to tap an actor or actress that you know was on the cusp of becoming popular, and this kind of pushes them over the edge, and now everyone wants to see the next so-and-so, well, you know, actor in a movie. Yeah, but we're also getting to that point. Like, Robert Downey Jr., how much more does he really have? Uh, Hugh Jackman is saying, like, all right, I've, you know, I've been flirting with the retirement idea, but really, I, I am done. Uh, you have Chris Evans saying, I, you know, I'm I'm over. It's, you know, after, after Infinity War, um, like, I'm not going to be actor anymore, so I'm not going to be Captain America. Yeah. Uh, and that could be something where they then bleed over and you have, say, Sebastian Stan taking over as Captain America. Like, story-wise, they do have a lot of room left to tell. You know, there's I mean, a there's, lot yeah, more Yeah, there's, there's so many possibilities. But then that's one of the things that, in my mind, makes comic book superior is because you can cover so much ground over a longer period of time with seemingly less investment. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, the point is that a lot of these actors that are big draws, you know, that are either famous in spite of Marvel or became famous because of Marvel, you know, are going to leave. And Marvel is going to hit that point where, sure, they had no problem recasting War Machine, you know, back when before this universe really exploded. Um, you know, but the, apparently, like, Feige has fought to keep Robert Downey Jr. on when, like, Ike Perlmutter apparently has been like, no, like, we can well, totally axe him. Well, because he's getting probably ridiculously expensive. Oh, he's getting ridiculous amounts of money, and I don't really know where to... I mean, in my mind, like, no one needs that much money. Right, and but, yeah, they're even going to get to a point, I think, where Disney's going to be like, hey, man, like, what, what's going well, on? I think why, he's, why are I mean, we getting... he's contractually up to Infinity his, Wars, his and I doubt he's going to do anything past his that. His contract is done. Yeah. Like his well, con- he, signed, he re-upped so that he could do Avengers 2, 3, and 4. Is that was that what? For, so even like Civil War, they probably had to pay a bunch of extra money to get him. Oh, that's that. true. Technically, Civil War was on the docket, and there's rumors that he might feature into Spider-Man somehow. Ugh, no, please stop. Um, you know, so it's it's really hard to say, but I think that regardless of what he does in between now and Infinity War, I think Infinity War is where Robert Downey Jr. probably takes his bow. Um, but again. You know, it's one thing when you have kind of a story out where you could be like, oh, Cap dies, and then they have Sebastian Stan take over as Cap. And that will be kind of cool for a while. But but even then, you could, however long that lasts for, does that mean that you get 
another Captain America trilogy with just Sebastian Stan, and then after Sebastian Stan's done, because he signed on for like nine films. Yeah. After Captain America one, he has like nine films on his contract. Um, you know, are you gonna like recast Steve Rogers? Are you gonna make Falcon? You know, who by by the time Sebastian Stan might finish with his his trilogy, <laughs> is Anthony Mackie actually gonna stick around to right. see if like, he becomes Captain? Well, yeah. How long is Anthony Mackie gonna play second fiddle? Like we're it's, we're probably not going to get a uh, a Falcon movie. As cool as that would be, I feel like the movie Falcon. It's uh, as, as good as Anthony Mackie is portraying him. There's, I feel like there's not enough meat there yet. Well, I mean, they could, they not, could change it. There's not enough distinguishing him from everyone else. Yeah, he especially because of his character, the characteristics of him. Like he's just kind of like another soldier type. So it would just be another yeah. Winter Soldier movie. It would be and, another Black Widow film. And he flies I mean. around, so he's like kind of like Iron Man. Yeah, but with guns. But with guns. Um. So, it's. There's a lot of question marks. I think that I do think that it's going to be that the the interconnected universe is going to break first, and that we'll just see a lot more independent and um, potentially even more creatively striking or u- creatively unique superhero films, mm-hmm. uh, pre and post uh, interconnected bubble. But uh, I think people are just going to not want to invest so much time in a twenty year epic. You know what I mean? Yeah, and. You know, eventually you're going to get to a point where the point of entry for new people is really going to close off. Yeah, if, I mean, if we a, haven't in already a hit way, that. it already. I would say it's getting tighter already. Well, yeah, because yeah, because before it was like, hey, you need to watch these like five movies to get everything and then watch going Avengers. on. And now and it's now like it's... now you have to watch like what, 11, 12? Have we hit twelve? Or twelve films. I think Guardians, of the, Guardians of the Galaxy was ten. Year. Guardians of the Galaxy was ten, so now we've hit twelve. And now it's like, hey, if you want to watch Civil War and know everything that's going on, you need to see these 12 movies. Which you could say there's certain ones you need to see over the others um, to get like the specific story for that movie. But what yeah. about beyond that? What about, you know, uh, Spider-Man or uh, Thor 3? Uh, you know, what? how is that all going to tie in? Yeah, and I know Thor 3 is supposed to like be a big lead-in to uh, Infinity War. It's I think this next phase, this would be phase three. We're hitting, yeah, Ant-Man was the end of phase two. So now yeah, we're phase so three. phase three is going to be just all interconnected. I mean, Civil War is an interconnected smorgasbord. Um, um, I don't even know what takes place after Civil War. Doctor Strange is actually probably going to be its own thing. So sometimes you have cases where, like, say uh, Ant-Man, it was... It did have its connections to the greater Marvel story, but it was more or less self-contained. It basically had the Falcon bit, which was, you know, actually kind of central to, or they made it central to the plot. You know, just it just happened so happened that he was fighting the Falcon, and it was a nice wink and a nod to Avengers fans. And then there is the ending, which I would say that the ending for Ant Man was one of the pro. It was a small problem, (laughs) small, Um, but basically ending it on a cliffhanger and not having like, say that whole ending segment be like, like the mid credit sequence, mm-hmm. like him, like walking over to uh, his, his uh, robber friend and being like, Hey, you said you got something for me. And him like going through the whole spiel is like a funny mid credit sequence. That's probably what it should have been. And they should have done a different well, ending. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you that movie like didn't have an ending. It, 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 did didn't, it didn't know. It didn't know what to do with itself in those last five minutes. So instead it teed up civil war. Um, yep. 
but the the majority of the movie was fairly self-contained. I bet you're going to see the same thing with Doctor Strange. I bet you're going to see the same thing with Black Panther, Captain Captain Marvel, and Inhumans to a large extent. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I could almost see them getting nervous about, say, the the um, the what am I trying to say? The success, the 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 the, the, the pitfalls of that they might not be successful. For say like Black Panther, Captain Marvel, or Inhumans, Inhumans especially, um, I think might end up being a really, really, really hard sell, uh, and that they might try yeah, to interconnect it too much. Yeah, to they're, so they're trying it. to soften the blow with uh, Agents of Shield right now, and like really try to get that audience like really primed for it. Yeah, but how many people are watching Agents? Like, I don't even watch Agents of Shield, and you know, I'm obviously kind of. Let me, let me tell I'm you. I'm kind of like locked in at this point to watch all these movies, but... Not as many know. people as uh, as ABC would like are watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, so I mean, how much of an influence is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. going to have on Inhumans? And if anything, now that Marvel Studios is separated from Marvel Television, I, I'm assuming they're still going to communicate. Yeah, you know, But will. is it going to be a thing where like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ties in with whatever Marvel movie comes out in May, you know, every season? Or... Or are they might they might even move away, or the, from the Inhuman storyline after like this next season. Mm-hmm. So I don't it, know, man. There's a lot. There's there is a lot here. Uh, so let's let's talk real quick then. I mean, while we're on the subject of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, real quick about the sides we have seen for Civil War. And uh, earlier this week. Well, not earlier this week, it was actually like late last week. Um, they revealed what was originally thought to be concept art, uh, and then Marvel came out and said, nope, these are really, you know, the sides uh, that Civil War is going to have. Uh, let me see, I, I didn't have a link for this one. Um, so, oh, now I'm looking, this is American Civil War uh, information that I don't need. But let's see, who is going to be on whose side? So... All right, team uh, anti-registration. You have Captain America at the front, uh, Ant-Man, Hawkeye, was it Agent 13 is her name? Uh, you Agent have, 13, a, yeah. Yeah, Agent 13, uh, Falcon, and uh, the Winter Soldier. And then on the pro-registration side, you have War Machine, Scarlet, or not Scarlet, which Scarlet, which hasn't appeared. Um, Black Widow, Iron Man as a leader there, Black Panther, and The Vision. So still not seen, but supposedly appearing in the movie is uh, is Scarlet Witch and Spider-Man. But those are kind of the basic uh, breakdowns, which you really got to think that Agent 13 is feeling a little overwhelmed by everything going right. on. Right, like how, how are they going to... There's so many characters, and... I mean, some of the characters who are already introduced, like Hawkeye, Black Widow, you know, like, they might be able to smooth in pretty easily. Like, oh, hey, it's Clint. Clint, thanks for backing me up. Yeah, no problem. You know, with Agent 13, like, you didn't get a whole lot of her, you know, in Winter Soldier. I mean, you get a, you got, like, a feeling that she was important. Like, we know she's important. But from, like, from a general standpoint, it was just kind of like, 
Like she seemed like she was important, but I feel like her role was greatly reduced because they just didn't have enough room. So, I mean, they, they didn't have enough room in that movie. Good lord. Yeah, yeah, in that movie, well, how like how important is she going to be to Steve Rogers and the overall plot going into this yeah. one? Well, and then they also apparently they find Bucky at some point, which is Bucky like is Bucky going to be the catalyst? At what point are they going to find Bucky and then he joins the fight? Like. Yeah, I know that there, there was a photo of uh, Bucky and Falcon Running. racing down a street. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously to us, like, we're seeing all of these disparate pieces. Um, you know, how, as far as this being Civil War, like, how much of it, like, how much of the movie is really going to be all the heroes fighting? You know, is it yeah. going to be the majority, of, which is presumably going to be a two and a half, three hour film? You know, how, you know, Especially when you incorporate things like Sharon Carter or the Winter Soldier, like, you know, where's the plot going to zig and zag? And I, I feel like the way that they're promoting it, like from a marketing standpoint, they're playing up the factions and that there will be factions in the film. But I feel like they're going to be smarter than just like a, a versus film. And we're going to see. And, and I think judging by the quality that the uh, Russo brothers have brought to the previous film. That there's more than meets the eye to this overall plot. Uh, That's all I got. Yeah. Mic drop. Yeah. Um, I'm really curious to see motivations for characters like the Vision. Like, why is the Vision pro-registration? Why is Black Widow pro-registration? Black Panther totally coming out of left field. Um, just in this movie in its entirety. Uh, what's really funny is that... that so you can tell this was definitely like a, a to a level concept art. Um, because, uh, and also Photoshop concept art, because that picture of Black Panther they use, like the, the pose he's in is the same one they showed off his costume with. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think it's interesting that the, um, the, you know, the pro registration side, they're all like ready to fight, ready for like angry. And then you have everybody's anti-registration is like just standing around like, yeah, no, we're just all, we're all here. Uh. We're just standing in front of this blue background, and then we're in front of a red background, and we're really angry, and uh, things are going to happen. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I, and I got just caught up in the comment thread of this, or the, the yeah, the comments uh, for this article are all different uh, Spider-Man gifs or Spider-Man memes from the old TV show, which uh, always cracked me up. Is this on uh, Reddit or something? Uh, it's on IGN. They also, you know, everybody's like, where's the Hulk? And it's like, we don't need the Hulk in this movie. <laughs> we're just, leave him alone. You wonder when the Hulk's going to reappear, though. Supposedly, he might show up in this film. No, we Supposedly. don't need anyone else. Because Robert Downey Jr. said that he is in the film. Um, Mark Ruffalo was like, that's news to me. Um, and then, supposedly, he's been seen in the locations where they're filming, or were filming. At this point, there's, like, well, I mean, he could just be visiting set. At this point, there's got to be some MacGuffins. Like, again, we haven't seen uh, Scarlet Witch in either of these photos or, uh, you know, renderings. And she's apparently supposed to be in this movie. Um, but apparently not taking a side. She's just like, I'm just really happy to be here. What, which character? Scarlet Witch. Oh, yeah. I know she's done filming for it. Yeah, so, they, so they claim. Well, it's like I, I, was, I, was... I bet. I think we're going to see. It sounds like we're going to see a kind of a buddying up of Hawkeye and uh, Ant-Man. Uh-huh. Um, and I think they're going to do the iconic uh, Hawkeye shooting Ant-Man on his arrow. I mean, they better. They better. Uh, looking at the time here, we're starting to get a little, little tight on time. So we're going to run through a couple of quick news stories, uh, if that's cool with you, Nick. 
That's cool, yeah, man. If you're all right with that. Uh, Vanessa R. Del Rey joined Scarlet Witch as artist for at least the first issue. Yeah, uh, so the, the new Star Scarlet Witch series is going to be uh, a different artist every issue. That's basically it. Uh, uh, did, I, did they confirm that? They did confirm okay. that. Uh, what's his name? James James Robinson has said that each art each issue will feature a different artist. Um, so they'll all be mostly self-contained issues about Scarlet Witch kind of being a troubleshooter. I don't know how to describe it. She's basically trying to look, um, resolve witchcraft related. Like he's trying to separate, say witchcraft from like the stuff that Dr. Strange might do. So he's, he's looking at magic in a way. And this is, you know, in many ways this is pulled from actual like mythologies and mysticisms that there's like both a masculine side to magic and a feminine side to magic. And that, Mm -hmm the kind of magic that Scarlet Witch taps into is a, a side that even Doctor Strange might not either be able to handle or, or frequent, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's, Basically, it sounds like she's becoming something of a, a pri- not private investigator, but she's basically going to Hellboy every issue. You know, <laughs> go someplace, deal with some plot, resolve it move on at the same time dealing with you know interpersonal issues be home in time for tea yeah which i mean the book could still be good it's not on my hot list to check out but i mean i, I will keep an eye on reviews and i oh i ultimately hope the book finds an audience yeah yeah it does uh it does seem kind of like a cool concept in that in that regard and uh, i checked out vanessa del rey's art and i mean i actually think it looks pretty cool yeah all the naked ladies uh, I didn't catch that part. If you, if you go to Vanessa Del Rey's website, uh, vrdelrey.com, there's just drawings of naked ladies. Which, you know, more power <laughs> to her. Uh, anyway, uh, other news. Tony Todd has been cast as the voice of Zoom in Flash Season 2. Uh, this is really cool. Tony Todd's been in a bunch, uh, bunch of stuff. Um and uh, apparently Zoom is going to make his first appearance in the second episode of the upcoming season. Hmm. Uh, in the second episode, Flash of Two Worlds, where Jay Garrick will also meet or be first introduced. Andrew Kreisberg said, last year with the reverse Flash, we just modulated Tom Cavanaugh's voice. And this year we want to do something a bit different. Part of the mystery of the season is who or what is underneath the Zoom outfit. And so we wanted to do something like James Earl Jones as Darth Vader the iconic voice coming out of this mask. Last year, we thought of the reverse Flash as a speed warrior. This year, Zoom is like a speed demon, and no one does demon voice better than Tony Todd. Tony Todd makes me think of Sweeney Todd, uh, which yeah. gives me all kinds of related connotations. Yeah, yeah right. And, uh, and they also said, in a way, it's hard to tell if it's a suit or alive. There's no skin showing. For all you know, there's a robot underneath or dark energy. I love this approach. This is really great. Instead of saying, like, hey, it's a person, this could just be like, hey, this is a negative part of the speed force coming to try to kill you. Hmm. Or it could be a person under there, but, you know, allowing them to do stuff that's a little more menacing, menacing and, like, more mystery about it beyond even, oh, who is it? It's just, what is it? What could mm-hmm. it be? Is it Tom Cavanaugh again? Dang it, you fooled us twice. I'm, I'm so interested to hear how Tom Cavanaugh is going to reappear in season two. Uh, anyway, I know, I know. That's definitely one of the biggest mysteries is uh, how, how they're going to utilize them. Because did you see the article that said that 
Um, Iris is apparently going to t- fill the vacant role of um, team leader, so to speak. Boo. Like she's gonna, she's essentially going to take over Harrison's role in the the uh, the lab uh, and basically help direct Team Flash's efforts. Boo. Because she's as qualified to direct uh, crime cleanup as she was to become a journalist. Boo. Uh, that all aside, Rosario Dawson confirmed for Luke Cage. She's also been confirmed as the uh, with a Phil Coulson of the Netflix Marvel Universe. Which so I half expected and I'm totally cool with. Yeah, it's cool. We're getting a lot of casting news from Luke Cage, which I'm really excited about because I was a little worried that it was going to be, oh man, here's all this stuff about Daredevil Season 2, which like they're filming right now, but that you know these other properties were then going to kind of get pushed to the sidelines. So I'm encouraged that they are uh, doing all this casting news. And it's like, look, we even have Rosario Dawson, who is a, probably loving all of this Marvel Disney money right now. Mm-hmm. She's probably going to be, oh, man. We're gonna we're gonna have to total up her time. She's probably going to be in more of it than uh, than I can't think of Daredevil's name. Um, Charlie Cox. Charlie Cox. Maybe not That's, screen. That'd be interesting because she wasn't in that many episodes of Daredevil. When you think about it, uh, she was still she, in probably she half. May popped up in five episodes that's, for that's, you that's know fine. varying degrees of screen time. And and you know how much screen time is she really going to take on? Jessica Jones or Luke Cage. All the screen time until she, we didn't. She's, she's going to meet all of them and just be like, guys, there's this problem, and I think all of you would be really good at accomplishing this. Yeah, until uh, until we get the Nurse Claire series. Yeah. So she was in 18 episodes, or at least um, credited for 18 episodes of Daredevil. It was only 13, though. Okay, so in the upcoming, she is credited between now and then. And 18. So let's see what she did for her first season. Uh, because this is important stuff, people. I don't care what else you have to do. You're going to listen to this through to the very end. So apparently uh, she's going to be in way more of season two. She was in one, two, three, four, five episodes of season one. And it looks like she's going to be a recurring, not a, uh, not a series regular, but definitely a recurring guest star in season two. And hmm. Jessica Jones, uh, so far only one episode. But then again, what do we know? Also going to be in Clerks 3. The more you know. Uh, let's see. And last bit of news is that Shonen Jump is going to hit Comixology the same day as in Japan. Yo. This is pretty cool. I'm, I'm totally behind this idea. Uh, I have not been reading manga for a very long time. But I was super into... Um, Naruto for a, a very long time as it was coming out. Is it like up to a year ago? It's but been, yes, it's been, yeah, it's been, except for a while. So like I had to do that whole thing where I had to, you know, wait for somebody to get it, to scan it, to translate it and, you know, put it up on a site and hopefully it doesn't get taken down. And if this was an option where it's like, Hey, same day. Now I wonder if they're going to allow you to purchase individual stories for like a dollar or if you have to buy the whole magazine, I imagine the whole magazine. Um, yeah, which I still can't believe that one piece is still going. Uh, and apparently it's far from over. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think, it, I think they, it would be cool if they were like, Hey, you know, you, if you want to buy just one story, give us a dollar a week and, uh, yeah, you can totally get every chapter of the story. 
um, I'd be willing to do that for because they're only like 10 pages each. And maybe they'll experiment with that in the future. But that's really cool if you are uh, into manga. Uh, now you have a much easier access to it. And Comixology has been uh, been pretty great. And what is uh, Kodansha? Kodansha is another manga publisher that okay. releases books. Uh, also, um, notably, the Attack on Titan manga. Um, oh. uh, so basically, Comixology is just shoring up as many manga publishers as they can. Hey, that's smart. Of that digital market, which is pretty cool. Yeah, because I think you know they've kind of realized that that you know they've kind of hit everybody they can in the American market, and Dark Horse is going to keep being a butt. So, you know, let's let's expand. Let's try to get them internationals. Or not even, mm-hmm. I mean, not even internationals, just people who maybe, you know, aren't going to be into the, the American crap. Because, uh, you know, the American comics are just so inferior. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, that, Dark Horse is on Comixology. Didn't they just, they, they, they only do, like, certain graphic novels, though, right? Well, certain graphic novels, but I think some of their manga is on there. Yeah, I'm just being a butt. I don't uh, think they have that much manga to begin with. They have the Trigun manga, Like, Bride sure. of the Water God. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're a Trigun. Uh, I think Trigon might be on there. Trigon was pretty good, man. Uh, yeah, Trigon was Dark Horse. Uh, and what else do they got? They got uh, they got other stuff over there. Anyway, let's quickly do some recommendations as we head on out of here. Nick, what do you got to recommend? Trigon is not on. Comics only. Well, if, if people want to uh, write me a letter to my home address, which I will not reveal, I will uh, mail you my copy for you to read as long as you promise to mail it back. What copy of what? Of Trigun manga. Uh, yeah, you'll never get back. I know. Um, I recommend... The, oh my gosh, what do I recommend? You first. <laughs> oh man, I usually take you struggling with your recommendation uh, to figure out what my recommendation is going to be. We have this whole podcast thing down. Yeah, it's really working out for us. Um, man, that is a super great question. Let me look at We recommend nothing this week. No, no, I'll recommend something. I will find it. I will find a way. Yeah, I didn't want to do it, but I will recommend The Wicked and the Divine. Oh my god, I knew you knew you I was going to do it. Do that. Uh, hey, you know what? Knew it. Forget you, man. So The Wicked I... and the Divine, Volume 1, you can get for $10 in, in trade. You get five issues. What a deal. As I said, it is a very good book. It didn't grip me, but I'm not saying it won't grip you. I do see the appeal of the story. There is a lot of mystery there that uh, that will kind of keep you wanting to know more and, uh, and wanting to kind of seek out some answers. So... If you enjoy books that have a supernatural kind of surreal element, books that do have a mystery that it's not force-feeding you exposition and all the answers right off the bat, books that have really, really great art, then The Wicked and the Divine is for you. Or if you're one of those people who enjoys like mythology and all that, etc., blah, blah, blah. The Wicked and the Divine, Volume 1, $9.99 from Image, first five issues. I think you're going to like it. Nick. I recommend Solo, which was a DC Comics production from, ugh, it was like 10 years ago now. Um, basically, the whole point of Solo was that different high caliber artists um, 
could go on and do basically whatever they wanted. They could bring on a writer if they wanted to. They could write and draw their own stories. They would draw all the stories. It was over um, 10 years ago. Um, but, I mean, you'd get different artists like Tim Sale, Darwin Cook. Um, I think Paul Pope even did an issue. Um, it's, it's been a little while since I read it. But John Arcudi. John Arcudi. Uh, in general, the majority of the stories are fantastic. It's unbridled creativity. Um, it's the brainchild unbridled? of Mark Cher- Chiarello, who's also known for doing the Wednesday comics uh, experiment with uh, DC that you might be familiar with, where they actually like printed comic books on newsprint for an X number of weeks. Huh. Um, uh, which eventually I want to collect the collected edition of Wednesday Comics. But I do have the collected edition of Solo, and it's a nice, hefty hardcover uh, with just like a whole variety of different treats. Um, so if you like um, unique flavors and you like a lot of different unique flavors all in one, Solo is the book for you. Yep, you can find it. Uh, apparently it is on Amazon, though I'm having a hard time finding... Uh, the all collected stuff. You, I can find the deluxe edition for thirty one, forty eight, but I'm sure people with more time will be able to uh, find specifics. But very cool. I never heard of that before. And there's a lot of people I like, like Neil Gaiman did a story, or Gaiman, yep. Neil Gaiman. I know I was wrong. Um, you've got John Hitchcock. You've got John Arcudi, as we mentioned. Brian Azzarello, Jeff Loeb, uh, Darwin Cook. So this is, uh, yeah, this is very cool. A uh, Tim Sale, of course. Yeah, um, gotta love that the Tim Sale, uh, but yeah, very very cool. I have to check that out. That I think is going to do it for us. Brings us now to the end of the show, and of course, if you enjoyed the show, please hop around to those places like iTunes and Spotify. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think, so more people can find the show and more people can enjoy our thoughts and join in the conversation. You can join in the conversation by heading over to heckyeahcomics.com where you can leave a comment or find our email address, which is heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. Share your thoughts, recommendations, whatever it is you want to tell us or want us to know. And you can follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics, all one word. You can find me on Twitter uh, at D-A-V-L-U-Z and you can find Nick attempting to find next week's recommendation. As always, if you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye true believers! Ever.